How has working from home been going for you? Remarkably remote from GoToMeeting will help you succeed in today's new normal. In just three minutes or less, we'll share simple but helpful tips to keep you on track. From managing your motivation, workload, and relationships, to hosting and attending virtual events that keep you connected with your clients and colleagues. So check out Remarkably Remote on your favorite podcasting platform or head to gotomeeting.com slash tips. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. This week's guest is the Athletics' Katie Strang, who is making her, I believe it's third appearance on the podcast. And since Katie and I last chatted on the podcast, I think she was out in the fall when she was doing a few stories at The Athletic around hockey culture, um, drug use, and a few kind of heavy lifts, as Katie tends to do. Um, in the hockey world. And since then, she has been dedicating a lot of her time into investigating um, and talking to victims of a prominent youth hockey coach um, who operated primarily out of Illinois and had been accused of sexual abuse by several victims spanning long periods of time. And Katie has been, as she tends to do, she has been reporting it very deeply, very diligently, and has produced two very powerful stories at The Athletic that I would encourage you to go read. And wanted to get her on here to, to talk about the process of those stories, to share the story, to talk about what's next, um, to get into the reaction. Um, there's a lot there. Uh, so, fair warning, we are talking about sexual abuse. Um, so, I, you know, there's some I would say graphic portions of this conversation, so I wanted to give you a heads up on that. But I would encourage you to listen and to share this because what Katie is doing at the Athletic is very important work, very important journalism. And these, you know, for those of us who care deeply about the hockey world and making it a place where we, you know, you want your kids to play and you you want it to be an environment that's safe, um, bringing these stories to light uh, you know, is, is really important. And so. Um, I'm thankful for Katie for her work, and I'm thankful for her taking the time to join the podcast. So let's jump right into this conversation, the full 60 with The Athletic's Katie Strain. Well, Katie, first of all, thanks for doing this. Um, I think this is now appearance three. Like, you're, you, I feel like I should give you uh, the Frank Provenzano green jacket or something to wear. <laughs> I know. I feel like a recurring <laughs> SNL host or something. You are. You're uh, who's? I'm trying to think of who you're. Like, uh, you're the Justin Timberlake to Frank's. Um, who, who's, who's a frequent guest? I don't even know. Gosh, I'm so out of touch. I couldn't even think of an <laughs> SNL recurring character. Oh my gosh, how are you holding up? Uh, we're doing pretty good, honestly, all things considered. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we've made the most of the time. It, if, you know, I say that having like a complete disaster of a house right. and relying on dry shampoo and wine at 4.45 p.m. every day. But <laughs> besides from that. Wait, like, why are you waiting so long to go to the wine? <laughs> I know, exactly. I know. it's. I saw that like meme that it's like either you like delineate what time of day it is by either your coffee consumption or your wine consumption. Yes. And I feel like that's pretty accurate. Although I'll say this, 
Um, the one, I think it's really hard dealing with kids during, you know, a quarantine pandemic situation, yeah. but they do force you to stay on a schedule. Yes. Yeah. There's no, although like we've definitely loosened up, like we're pretty strict in terms of schedules just out of necessity. And like with my, with my oldest Calvin, like, it's like, okay, if you want to play Fortnite with your buddies until midnight, like I'm done fighting that battle. You know what I mean? Like I, Oh, we, we're done fighting a lot of battles. <laughs> Laundry is a battle that we've given up on too. Yeah. Apparently. Which is amazing because I wear basically the same thing every day. And I'm like, why is there a pile? Like literally, like I haven't, I haven't worn jeans or anything in, I was having the discussion, like the last thing in public I, I did was the GM meetings. And I was talking to a GM and it was like, had we known that was it, like we really should, I don't think we took advantage of, uh, we didn't really live it up down there like we would have otherwise. No kidding. I think my last, actually, I, I think you were the last person I saw in public. <laughs> really? That Red oh, Wings morning skate, Red Wings hurricane. Yeah. Last time I went out out was with Sarah Sivy and we went to Grey Ghost in Detroit. So that was a good last hurrah so that's when i was convinced that we were all getting it because it was like we were down there and i was like oh Oh, yeah the utah jazz were just here saturday and half the team has it or whatever and i'm like all of a sudden i'm like oh my gosh i'm i have a headache i don't feel well like it to me (laughs) like gosh oh that seems like years ago holy cow it it does it feels like a lifetime ago but (sighs) back to the parenting thing you know the best advice i got was from aaron port's line okay and this was long before this sort of un- unfolded but it applies in all scenarios and I'm totally co-opting it to be like my north star in parenting which is just survive in advance and that is so true <laughs> you know what I mean right. like if you're focusing on your kid like thriving right now or learning a new language or something right now you're doing it all wrong like right. you just got to keep them alive yeah keep them fed keep them alive um is there anything you're going to carry over if we ever get back to after times do you, is there gonna is there something that you're like you know what this this yeah. is a keeper yep. this concept or whatever well i mean i will definitely i will definitely continue using surviving in advance as my parenting <laughs> philosophy my north star but yeah. um one thing that i think i'm gonna be more mindful of is i'm a hugger and yeah you know, I think I'm now realizing how I probably don't always take into account that not everyone um, likes to hug and that like, right. you know, I probably need to be a bit more cognizant of personal boundaries when like, you know, when my natural inclination is to just like smother someone. Um, <laughs> and so I'm going to be much more professional in the way I approach embraces in the workplace yeah otherwise i so i'm convinced it's it's my grandmother was a great depression you know survivor whatever we like lived through the great depression and it like to the at at last of her days was you know reusing aluminum foil and ironing paper Mm -hmm. towel and i'm like geez grandma like hey we're in the richest country in the world like you can here here's a here's some more saran wrap and but it, like she just was like, hey, you never like it, it completely impacted her. And I think our version of that is going to be and may who knows, like this might be stupid. And, but like how we're going to be so conscious of like spreading, you know, germs or whatever, like 
that we're going to be like, oh, all right, Grandpa, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to wash your hands for the six millionth time today, or maybe that's just how it's going to be. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's entirely possible, or that we're going to be like hoarding Clorox, you know, Lysol <laughs> wipes or whatever, right. which I still haven't been able to get my hands on recently. Um, the whole Lysol <laughs> Clorox, uh, I, yeah. So, anyways, I don't want to turn this into a whole quarantine, but it was. I have we haven't really talked much, like just catching up. We haven't so about I, this, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, so yeah, it's do. it's good to to use the podcast to catch up. Uh, I, I was laughing because last week showed the wide gap between the seriousness of things you work on and the not seriousness of things that I've been working on, because like on the same day. I published this, you know, Q and A with Brent Burns, where we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, yeah, just getting Carol, huh? covering yourself in raw sewage at an RV camp. You know, <laughs> you drop the, the super important story, and I'm like, and I'm, and it was classic, like Katie Strang style, where we're all, you know, like, hey, let's just try to let's try to come up with some fun and take advantage of the players being home, and let's, and then you're like, I'm still gonna do some super important journalism, and it was so like. It just showed you can still work the phones, you can still you can still report, and you can still write important stories. And I wanted you to share. Let's. We're probably going to have to keep peeling backwards on the story, but I wanted to start mm-hmm. there with the story that you wrote. Um, can you just give the listeners who didn't see it some backstory and how that came came about? Are we talking about the most recent one yeah. or the original one? No, let's start with the most okay. recent one. Okay, sure. So. Um, the most recent story that I wrote was basically a deep dive into a high, which is um, the amateur hockey association of Illinois, which is the state governing body essentially of, of amateur hockey in Illinois and how they handled um, sexual abuse complaints revolving around a certain um, prominent youth coach who I had written about a few months prior. Mm-hmm. And while that's sort of the, you know, Reader's Digest version, it was sort of a 30,000 foot view of, you know, the hierarchy of that organization, the centralization of power within that organization, the dearth of turnover on the board, the, Mm -hmm. you know, what many people feel like is a rampant sense of institutional protectionism and cronyism and favor trading and serial grifting. Um, So it it was both in a a broader examination of the organization and an analysis of how the culture at that organization might tell us about how this um, youth hockey coach was able to bounce from job to job to job for so long, despite the number of stories and rumors that had circulated about him for decades. Yes. All right. I mean, there's a lot there. And and I want to start with some broad strokes. And because this is a story about a a specific state's, you know, hockey, hockey governing body. In in your reporting, or it just typically, like, is is this a rogue governing body, or can we look at this story and say, boy, this raises questions about, you know, the the, the governing bodies everywhere in the states or wherever hockey so, hockey's being played? Yeah, I think a little bit of both. Um, it's important to understand how 
the hierarchy works, you know, there is USA hockey, which is like the national governing body. And then, you know, that's under the umbrella of the U S Olympic committee. Um, and then underneath USA hockey, they have it split into 12 districts. And then, um, generally each state with a, you know, a prominent hockey presence has its own state governing body. And in talking to people throughout hockey, uh, every, Every state affiliate has its own nuances and idiosyncrasies, certainly, though there is sort of a generally accepted understanding that Illinois is a little bit different. Right. Um, and I've had people speculate to me that part of that difference has to do with the tremendous amount of money running through youth hockey in the state of Illinois um, and that that makes it more susceptible to a bit more kind of roguish um, actions. And, um, you know, I have had, in fact, in my article, um, you know, an executive of another state governing body to say, you know, they are regarded as a bit of kind of a maverick affiliate and they do with it what they want. And if people don't like it, tough shit. (laughs) Right. And, and it, it is interesting because when there's this much money involved, like if people are sticking around this long, like, you know, we've all been part of youth sports and it's like, it, you know, it can be a time suck and you're, you're, you know, you're not getting paid anything. So it, you would burn out pretty quickly, but there's, there's some motivation there for these people to stay involved for decades, right? It's the same cast of characters in some cases, seems like. For sure. And I mean, there's the reason that there's that term about like board fatigue, which is you know, why you're supposed to be somewhat vigilant about, you know, infusing a board with new faces and, you know, fresh ideas and perspectives, because you don't want to become stale and stagnant and susceptible to that sense of, you know, cronyism. Right. And, you know, that's a big concern for people of, you know, the same people have been in positions of power for a very long time. You know, I can't tell you how many times people referred to it as an old boys club. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very insular and, you know, very exclusive and, you know, can be very advantageous if you have connections to that group in the upper echelons of power, but it can you know, have a very deleterious effect if you run afoul of them. Right, right. Um, and, and before we trace it back further with kind of the, the thread line that connects these stories, what, what's what been the reaction? So, I mean, you this uh, it's, it's, it's hard to like, I don't want to dive too much because there's, there's so much to cover in the story. So I, I don't want to like also skim, but I mean, I, I would encourage anybody to go to theathletic.com and, and just actually the easiest way would just be to look up Katie's last couple stories on her bio page and, and get caught up because it's super important journalism and important if you're in the work, hockey world at all to understand what's going on. But what, what was the reaction after this published? Because stories like this tend to bring out some extreme reactions. So the reaction to the story I found was twofold. Um, you know, first of all, people were horrified, disgusted, dismayed, um, I think, to discover that According to several people, AHI had known about this um, situation, you know, for for decades in some cases and years in others, um, and just the overall 
sense of inaction. Um, but I will say that, you know, sort of the other maybe more positive feedback was um, that I think there was some relief that someone was writing about this. And let me explain that. Um, you know, I would say sort of the most pervasive concern that I dealt with as I was reporting this was this sense that um, people were scared to talk about it because there was this very toxic dynamic in which, yes, people felt like there was inaction and favor trading and undue influence, but people were scared to discuss it because they did not want to risk reprisal or retribution um, for their own child's hockey playing future. Mm-hmm. Right. And which and is we, very toxic. I mean, that's so toxic. This well, is it's what it's what allows all this about. stuff to exist for years, right? It's yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I get it. Like yeah. I, you know, as as a parent, I understand. Like, you know, your first prerogative as a parent is to protect your kid, and you know, we all have different interpretations of how to do that, right? And you know, you don't want to see your kids' dreams dashed. Like I was a competitive gymnast growing mm-hmm. up, and like that is about as political of, you know, a sport as it gets. Again, another sport where it it requires a ton of, you know, financial investment, time investment, travel. So there are some interesting parallels there. Um, And and I, I remember like my parents wanted to get out of it totally too, because it was just like, it was too much. You know, there was like so much corruption and they were just like enough. Hmm. Um, Right. And so like, you know, we, we've seen, and I've talked to to people involved in youth hockey, you know, that are dealing with, with racism. And it's like, well, if you bring this up, your kid is the one that gets, gets end up kept off the team because you you become known as a, a problem parent or whatever. So it's Which like, I think, and, yeah. and that kind of speaks to like some of the more pervasive cultural issues within hockey, which is, you know, there is, there is this sort of fetishization in hockey of like stoicism of like you play through anything, you grit through anything, like it's team first versus individual. And so that's been, you know, so deeply ingrained and entrenched in the, you know, whole ethos of the sport that people are reluctant to speak up for that reason. Like they don't want to be seen as like a malcontent or like someone that, you know, is a shit stirrer. Right. So what that creates is the perfect environment for somebody, uh, let's say, like the coach that you've written about, Chico Adratus, who, who you know, th- th- like this is this is who started this investigation for you. You got alerted to some of the alleged sexual abuse stories that you know people were started to tell you. People, the victims of of his. Um, how how far back does this investigation go with you? Like how when did you kind of get alerted to the you know potential issues that were surrounding yeah this okay coach. so i got a call in october um from someone that i know who came up through the chicago hockey ranks yeah and he said like i know this topic is in your wheelhouse like that you've reported on this type of stuff before i have been hearing about this one coach for literally decades I think he needs to look into him. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, I, I emailed you about that, I think. And then mm-hmm. I think I spent the next day, I spent maybe an hour, maybe two, um, making some very like cursory preliminary phone calls. And within an hour, it became very clear that there was a lot there. And that like this was this was definitely a substantive tip and that this was going to keep me busy for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And so it just all unfurled from there. Yeah. Um, and you're facing, when you're reporting a story like this, you're facing all the obstacles that we talked about where people don't want to, they don't want to speak. They don't want to, you know, rock the boat. They don't want to put other people at risk. But in this case, you know, this went back, uh, almost this was advantageous for you. This went back far enough where people were like, you know what, I'm ready to talk about this versus something that was, you know, last week, right? So like, like when you're balancing something like this, like I think that's part of a, that that becomes a challenge, right? You're you're talking about something from the, whatever it was from 20 years ago, like, and then finding the people to talk to. Yeah. And I actually, you know, this brings up a good point about some of the difficult dynamics of reporting on sexual abuse um, in ways that, you know, this was kind of the time difference provided a bit of an advantage for me from a reporting perspective. Um, I think the average age of disclosure for a man that was sexually abused is around the age of 50. Mm. and you know which shocks some people but you know it takes people sometimes a really long time to process a trauma that has happened to them and to feel comfortable um either disclosing it to others or taking that a huge next step which would be to discuss it publicly and so I was lucky in the sense that you know when I started this reporting and I was cold calling hundreds of people um, that I happened upon some people that were kind of far enough along in their individual journey that they were ready to talk about it. And I think that, you know, had I been just, so I, I approached this with that dynamic in mind. So, you know, he coached for decades starting, you know, in suburban not suburban, I was in the greater Chicagoland area in the early 80s. And he went to, you know, the most high profile job that he had in the definitely the nexus of the most pervasive rumors were at the University of Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but he coached up until 2018, um, where he had spent, you know, nine seasons at Robert Morris University in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a reason that I started with like the furthest back versus the most recent, um, which may seem counterintuitive because, you know, people with that he coached more recently, had they been abused, would still presumably, you know, be within their statute of limitations. But knowing that, you know, the dynamics of sexual abuse and disclosure are very fraught, I started with the furthest back as I could and I worked my way forward. And so, I really started with that Minnesota team and worked from there. Is that something naturally, Katie, that you would have done? Or is that something you've learned in reporting these cases? Um, I think that's definitely something that I have learned. Um, and I think there is a different dynamic with each sport. And I think there's, 
you know, a different dynamic, whether it's men being abused or women being abused. I think the age of disclosure for women that have been sexually abused is often much younger. Mm-hmm. But, you know, knowing that it's so much older for men and that also kind of, you know, having a pretty, you know, nuanced understanding of hockey like culture, I felt like I was going to have the most success if I started with Minnesota and worked my way from there. Right. Um, one of the things that struck me about this, and it sounds like, I mean, if you said within an hour of reporting it, you started, you, 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 it was clear to you that this was something worth pursuing was, uh, you know, when, if I would assist in any small way and talk to like an NHL player and mention the name, it wasn't even like, it was like, Oh Yeah. Oh, are the rumors true about this person? Like there was no, like it was so close to the surface of being out there. You know what I mean? Like there was, it wasn't like it's crazy. I can't believe there was no pearl clutching. It was like no, oh, uh, yeah. So so oh, we're talking about this now, and I'm like, wow, right. like that's. I mean, it was it was so um, I guess well known, and still nothing. So it's interesting. In, 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 yeah, no, so it's interesting. Like when I in so w- there's. There's one other investigation that I've worked on that I continue to work on that is the exact same as this, yes, yes. which is when I call, like when I call and ask about that person or when I call and say, hi, I'm looking, I'm looking into Chico. People know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, I don't you're need not asking to go for like a further goalie from that. Tip. No, everyone knows precisely what I'm talking about. Yeah. No further explanation needed. And you just like keep it pretty open-ended and let them go from there. But like, yes, I, I mean, I cannot tell you how many people told like, and I think this is often how it is. Although I think that's evolving now, at least I'd like to hope, but like these things are just open secrets for years, right, right. decades, you know, where people have kind of accepted, but, and it's interesting because I think it's easy for us to say like, how could this have happened like, how could people have been talking about this so casually for years and had it never come to the surface? Um, whereas I actually think that can work in other ways, too. For instance, like some people would tell me, like, well, this has been around for years. So if there was truth to it, something would have d- been done by now. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, right. Like, that's almost a defense. Like, Totally. Yes, right. And, and also, one of the really bizarre things about this particular case is this coach had a an extremely narrow, specific MO mm-hmm. in which he would, you know, make these players, um, according to their accounts, unwitting victims of their own sexual abuse. Okay? And so the story is, like, the story, which all of them have mirrored in almost, I mean, in just such an uncannily similar detail is it it sounds to the untrained ear so outlandish that you almost, and so brazen that you almost like, it's hard to believe for some people, but it, it, that part actually made some of the reporting easier because the story was so specific So once I started to rack up people across different time periods and generations and teams and states who had no communication with each other whatsoever, tell me the exact same fact patterns, that specificity was like really helpful to me. 
Right. But I think it caused some people to dismiss it because it sounded so odd. And before I like start kind of like tap dancing around this, what happened was players would like players would all say that, you know, this coach would cultivate very strong relate personal relationships with them through various different means. Um, but always like by flattering and what we now can clearly identify as grooming techniques, um, isolate you from your family, your friends, um, ingratiate themselves as someone that's shepherding your hockey career. Um, that's going to be advantageous for you to remain very close with so that they can help guide you and teach you. And he'd like find these very inventive ways to steer the, like the conversations toward sex. And he'd ask these guys like, Hey, you know, according to these, to all these different players accounts, he'd ask them like, would you be interested in having this woman I know um, come over and perform oral sex on you? And, you know, different people kind of reacted all different ways, but, you know, they're, they're young teenagers. And, you know, this is a time period that was very, very different um, um, from when, you know, like what we know now about sexual abuse and kind of having a, a bit more of an idea of, of what that looks like. And some of these he, he, players would say, okay, you know, this is my coach. This is someone that I trust. This is someone that I've poured my heart out into and who has my best interests at heart. And um, according to them, he would say, okay, I'm going to call her. Um, the only caveat is um, for her to do this, you have to remain blindfolded or restrained in some way, sometimes by the wrist, sometimes by the ankles, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, those, those people that, you know, were in those situations, um, believe that he was the person performing oral sex on them. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you get told this story over, like, that's such a, like the first time you told it to me, I was like trying to wrap my head around it. Like it was such like a, I guess I don't want to say unique, like it sounds like you're giving it credit, but specific, um, MO that like, there's no, like, there's no doubt to you then you know, okay, this is, is something a foul here. When I talk to somebody who's 20 years removed from another person in two states right. over. Right, and they're, and they're both, like, citing the woman's name being Sheila and her being a nearby nursing student and them, go, like, being taken to the same restaurant before he, you know, employs this approach. Right, right, right. Did you, how much communication was there or has there been between the victims? Like that's what, I, you know, that was one of the things that I was wondering as it's happening. Yeah, like, that's a great question. So before the story ran, um, I was so, you know, knowing that, you know, sexual, like one of the worst byproducts of sexual abuse is like the isolation right. that one feels. It was, you know, I so wanted to be able to put them <clears throat> in touch with each other, but, from an ethical perspective, I did not think, you know, I did not think that was proper to, to do. So, you know, I, I, I did not, um, let any of them know about anyone else and, um, did not like facilitate any communication because I wanted 
you know, I didn't want there to be any possible hints of impropriety or coordination um, that could undermine what they were telling me. Right. So I kind of was very strict in adhering to not divulging anything that I knew about one situation to another person. Um, Now, though, once the story has run, they've obviously um, connected to each other. And that's been a really, really wonderful source of support and solidarity. And Mm. I know for all the guys that came forward and even some of the guys who didn't, you know, come forward with their name necessarily, um, that's been extremely like cathartic and healing. And they've had, you know, a lot of guys have had former teammates that they haven't heard from in like 20 or 30 years reach out. And that's been a wonderful silver lining for them. Yeah. You, you mentioned the grooming techniques. I wanted to, to um, look at that a little closer because I'm not even, I don't know when that phrase came into the lexicon, but that wasn't something I was talking about as a kid, you know, beware of grooming techniques. Um, what, like, what did that look like? And, and just for, you know, parents of kids in the hockey, you know, youth hockey world, what, what should they be kind of what, have their sure. antenna up around? Yeah. Um, so uh, one of the big things is gifts and mm-hmm. they can be as, you know, one of the victims in my story described getting a car from, um, the coach, but, um, and it can be as, you know, obviously as lavish as that to as little as, you know, a bracelet from a coach or, you know, a commemorative pin. Um, this was a big thing in the Larry Nasser case. Like Larry Nasser would always bring home mementos from the Olympics, um, to give his gymnasts so that they would like feel special and singled out. And like, they had a very, um, they had a personal claim um, to his affection or affinity. Mm-hmm. And so gifts is a big thing. Um, you know, flattery is a huge thing. You're, you're the best guy on the ice. You're going to go D one. I'm going to get all these NHL scouts to come look at you. I'm going to get you to the promised land. A big thing is isolating, um, isolating athletes like from either their, nuclear family or their friends, friends and family. So if you, you know, sort of chip and chip away at, at those really healthy support structure systems and make it so that you are the one that they are relying on in times of like adversity or dealing with an identity crisis or just, you know, the natural, um, stages of adolescence, that's a big one. Um, and sometimes very often, um, it can involve grooming the parents with some of these exact same things, favors, flattery, um, ingratiating them. You know, I can't tell you how many times like that, you know, parents feel this really awful guilt at being sort of unwitting accomplices in, in these predators very elaborate schemes right right and i think in one case there was um you know the the um the parents uh, essentially kind of gave up the uh, what's the phrase when the the rights to um guardianship guardianship. thank you and 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 so like to me clearly like i think that was one that like and i want i'm sure this is strategic and and you find somebody that is maybe there's 
instability or something to target, right? And and maybe take advantage of that. Well, and if you think about like like so, you think about hockey and like you know, there's there's probably like a whole other podcast to do about like the intricacies and dynamics of you know Chicagoland hockey, but like you know the the way the coach was able to obtain that guardianship is to say, hey, like he's not doing so well in school and his friends are a bad influence on him. So how about he comes and lives with me? I will be very strict about him doing his homework. And that way, if he comes to live with me on this side of town, um, he won't spend an hour in that. You guys won't have to worry about like the hour car ride back and forth, ferrying and shuttling him to hockey practice. I'm going anyway. I can bring him and, you know, then you cut out some of sort of the logistical red tape. And I mean, there, there's a reason now, like it is against you at like safe sport policy that, you know, coaches can't give kids rides to games. Coaches cannot directly electronically communicate with players without, you know, their parents being aware stuff like that. Mm. Um, and so like it, so this was okay, so the details that you're sharing here. This was all part of the story that ran in. Gosh, I'm trying to think now. January, February, February. February. Okay. Yep. Um, I've got several questions, but one one I'm I'm curious about because I saw this in the comment section of your most recent one. The reaction. I mean, you get reaction from victims. You get reaction from sources. What's has has other media picked up on this? Like his Chicago. Like, I, I'm, I'm just curious. There, yeah, let's start there. Yes. Yeah, so, okay. So I do think, um, yes, like it, the first story, I think, um, did get picked up and aggregated by a, a ton of publications. Yeah. Um, national and in some cases, even international. I would say the, the sort of ancillary side story that caused a bunch of this aggregation was um, in the week following that story coming out. Um, I learned that Minnesota had launched an investigation mm-hmm. into the allegations that were contained in that article. And, you know, obviously University of Minnesota's hockey program is still an elite premier program. And that's big news that uh, a university is like hiring one of these huge, you know, white shoe law firms to conduct an investigation. And so that was certainly aggregated quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I, w- I would say that it was, um, and I and I do think I I don't want to say that I think that you know this. It's 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 hard in the sense that like he's not someone with national name recognition. Right. So this story is so wildly important um, to me and to others, and I think you know most people that care about the game of hockey. Um, but, you know, I can't speak to the kind of news standards right. that other right. publications would grab onto and, you know, stuff like that. So more trouble. So like that was that was just something that sp- was I was sparked by. the other, But more troubling, I, I think, and this is what sparked the second story was, OK, now we've exposed all this or you have um, these these victims have stepped forward. All right. Now, now, of course, this person, there's going to be some sort of repercussion, right? There's, you, you know, they're going to at least examine how this happened. 
as a as a coordinating as a governing body. And so now this to me the reaction not only from you know AHI but you could say USA Hockey that to me is worth examining. And that's what you did in the second piece. And and maybe maybe this guy's not in rinks anymore. And yet here we are. And yet here we are. Um, so I don't, you know, beyond the fact that he was forced to step away from his job at Robert Morris, um, which is the result of not my story. He stepped away in 2018 um, because another victim had come forward and filed a complaint with the U S center for safe sport. Um, so there's a safe sport investigation that remains ongoing where, you know, a final decision has not been determined yet. Um, but beyond that, like people keep asking me like, what is this guy doing? How is this guy not, um, being charged? And again, one of these really complicated, difficult things with writing about cases like this is, and this is why you're seeing legislation change a lot too, is by the time that people feel comfortable and safe and supported enough to come forward to talk about these intensely private traumatic things, often their options to have any sort of like criminal prosecution are gone. Um, and right. so that is certainly the case with everyone in my original story that their statute of limitations has expired. Um, now, many of them did so because they fear um, that there are plenty of them of, you know, other survivors out there. They don't want those people to feel alone and that like they were going through something, you know, in isolation. They want those, you know, potential other survivors to know that, you know, there is a support system and, you know, there is some hopefulness on the other side. Um but yeah, I mean, you, it is maddening to think that this could happen and there is no real tangible um, implications for that person right. yet. I mean, he, he still within the past two months has approached people in the Tampa, St. Petersburg area about providing young goalies with private instruction. He is not allowed. I mean, he's serving a temporary ban, so he's not allowed to coach in any USA hockey sanctioned um, capacity, but there is certainly nothing precluding him from privately instructing players. And he's by all indications attempting to do so. Uh, um, And so it, it it really circles back to our initial conversation in that when you have a governing body that has existed for a very long time and maybe hasn't been perfect in uncovering things or researching things or handling complaints, however you, we want to say it, um, maybe they're not the best people to you know to, to, to hold people accountable. Is that a fair? I don't, sure. you know what I mean? Well, fair conclusion yeah, to make. Here's, well, yeah, it is, it is a fair conclusion. Well, here's the thing. Um, you know, I think it's fair for all of us to expect that people that are in charge of oversight for amateur sports and yeah. protecting our children, it is fair for us to ask the hard questions. 
Yes. And the hard questions are, if this was going on for so long in such an open secret, why was nothing done? There are a couple different explanations to that. Now, it's very difficult for me to believe that you can be the power brokers within a certain affiliate and, and, and supposedly be so entrenched in that community and know nothing. Or you did know and you didn't act in ways that I think are incumbent upon you from a responsibility perspective. Now, I am totally willing to acknowledge that in the 80s, in the 90s, and perhaps like 10 years ago, things were different. And yeah. we didn't have this sort of cultural reckoning that we had, you know, with the Sandusky scandal at Penn State and the Larry Nassar scandal at MSU. And our understanding of those things are so much more sophisticated now. And I'm thankful for that. Um, and I do think that's important to acknowledge. Yeah. However, um, if like if a child is potentially in danger, I do believe whether or not you have a legally mandated mandated reporter responsibility to notify law enforcement, you have a responsibility, a moral responsibility to protect the kids that you are tasked with overseeing. And if you don't, you are abdicating that responsibility mm. and you are acting in a way that is negligent. And, and requires further examination. Right. And I've also had people say this, and I think this is a fair point to address. Well, what if they knew, but all they heard was everything everyone else heard, which was stories and rumors, and they couldn't, they had no proof. So that's, that's a fair question to ask, but here's how I would counter that. Like one, what do you, what do you count as proof? Like, do, do you have to, you know, this isn't a court of law. Like they are not tasked with any burden of proof in, in, in that age. Right. Um, you know, you're not getting forensic evidence. So my understanding then is probably you would need, you'd need a player to, to tell you firsthand. Yes, this happened. Um, and all I'll say to that is it took me an hour. It took me an hour of hearing about this story, looking up names of players, finding their phone numbers and making a couple calls. And I found someone. So I'm not by any means like, you know, anyone could have done that. Right. It took nothing special on my part. And so my feeling is, had your pursuit of the truth been legitimate, you could have found the information you needed. Coaching youth hockey is not a constitutional right. right. You, have, you absolutely have the discretion to say, I'm uncomfortable by what I heard about why you lost your job and you're not going to be around kids. That's enough. And further to that point, they were told officially in 2010, they had a player first notify them when they were on, you know, at the precipice of inducting this person into the Hall of Fame 
And they had a player approach them and said, you cannot do this. And here's why. This is what he did to me. And this is my name. And I will put that in writing. And they asked him to do so. He did. And what they did is they held a hearing. He didn't show up. They issued a indefinite suspension. And meanwhile, that coach was coaching at an ACHA program that practiced in the same building that AHI had a headquarters and met regularly for rules and ethics hearings. And they did nothing. From what we can tell. Now, I have given AHI multiple opportunities to come forward and avail themselves of any efforts they made to tell Robert Morris, USA Hockey, which they were certainly incumbent to have it to having done. ACHA is a member of USA Hockey. They should have told USA Hockey that this person is coaching within a USA Hockey sanctioned program and should have been precluded from doing so. And yet, he coached until 2018. Hmm. The whole Hall of Fame portion of the story, of and this isn't the most recent one. That to me, so it goes back to what you said. Either they knew and did nothing, or didn't know, but they knew enough not to. Neither are to, good. Neither are good. And in two thousand nine, when this guy is nominated to go into the Hall of Fame, and like on, you know, being, it became clear like he was he was uh, you know part of an inductee invitation or whatever it was, um, and then. And then there's blowback, and then all that goes away, and he's no longer going into the Hall of Fame. Enough that you know, there was enough there to not go ahead and induct him, but we're not. Then we're just going to stop. Apparently, like, like apparently, either, you got to just right. like you got to just not show up for your hearing, and then go on your merry way. Right, like that. Yeah, that's troubling. Um, it's not like this guy was out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> he's- the, literally like the connections in the, in the building where they had like, a headquarter i mean it's yeah it's it really is beyond the pale um so like you know people listening to this is this, this isn't i mean it, it is and isn't an illinois story but it on some level it's a usa hockey story and it, you know because ultimately like this is the organization that's that is in charge of all of this how you know what 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 improvements has USA Hockey made in the last ten years? Like where where do they fall into all of this? Well, and, and that's a loaded question, and I realize that I guess. So you know things have changed considerably since the advent of safe sport, and for those who don't know, like the U.S. Center for Safe Sport is a central clearinghouse that handles all complaints of sexual abuse and misconduct um, and investigates those um, like for anything that occurs under the US, USOC umbrella, any right. NGBs with that, under that umbrella, they investigate that. Um, and, you know, that's again, a whole nother podcast about, you know, what their resources are like, how independent they're able to be considering where their funding comes from. Yeah. And, you know, how well staffed they are to be able to manage the deluge of complaints that they are getting. That's a whole, that's a whole nother can of worms that we probably don't have time to delve into. Right. Um, but that is certainly, um, 
I don't want to say streamlined, but it has it has made the process by which these things are handled very clear and standardized, okay. um, uniform across all states. But, you know, you talk about the USA Hockey Connection, and it's really hard to not point out the fact that the single most prominent person to have ever risen through the ranks of AHI is USA Hockey's current president, Jim Smith. Mm. And Jim Smith was the president of AHI from 1985 to 1988. And he has been an influential member um, for the past 40 years. He's one of only two people who have won the Founders Award with AHI, which represents 40 years of service to the organization. And um, as I reported in both the original story and the recent one, he was told about this, according to several people, that mm-hmm. he was notified about this coach and the concerns around the coach. And that, to me, is should be extremely troubling um, to USA Hockey and anyone with connections to USA Hockey, anyone with kids playing within the USA Hockey structure. Um, if I'm a parent and I have a kid playing hockey, I want to know that safety is the organization's first priority. And from my reporting, um, I think there are some very difficult questions that need to be posed to Jim Smith, some of which I already have, about his connection with this story and the situation and how he handled it. Uh, what was, uh, what's been the response when you've, I mean, cause I know you've exhaustively reported this. I mean, gosh, so many people have just like, you know, after the first story, people were like, God, people have known about this for years. Like anyone yeah. suggesting that they didn't know is full of shit. Like people knew people talked about it openly. Like it is, it's so, you know, beyond the realm of believability for anyone, you know, within arm's length of hockey to, you know, claim that they didn't know anything about this. But like um, specifically USA hockey's, I guess was what I was like, you know, when you, when yeah, you well, people are this. like, well, how is, how is this not <laughs> becoming a bigger deal? Like why, right. why, why is this not, why is this not getting sort of more publicity? Why is there not more of a spotlight on this? Like this is a very serious issue um, that has seemingly ensnared the very, you know, top person at USA hockey. Why has this not been acknowledged by USA hockey really to any substantive degree? Mm-hmm. Um and what do they plan to do about this? Like, is it, I mean, is anything, is he going to be held accountable in any way? That's been the reaction that I've got, gotten yeah. from readers. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, some very serious, legitimate concern. And as a parent, I don't blame them. Right, right. And you've reached out to USA Hockey, I know, on a number of occasions. Sure, several times. Yeah. Yeah. And they did, con- like, they did comment. And... I'll say this, Jim, you know, Jim Smith said he doesn't recall having um, 
the conversation about Adratus. Mm-hmm. He doesn't recall being told. Okay. And that in his years as president, there was never an official report or complaint made that he doesn't know why he disappeared off of the Illinois Hockey Hall of Fame ballot suddenly. Mm-hmm. Um, just, wow, that's a lot. There's a lot there. Um, yeah. What What are you doing moving forward? What is the next... If you if you're allowed to divulge, I know you sometimes. Yeah, you want sure. To know. Well, I'll say this: like, um, you know, the one kind of good thing about this is, I I think there's been in a you know when you when you talk about like, you know, I've addressed this idea of a chilling effect of like when people are really scared to talk about something that concerns them for fear of retribution or reprisal. I do think the more that I've written about it, the more empowered or emboldened people have felt to talk to me about it mm-hmm. um, and to discuss things that they know in you know a big part of, you know an impetus for writing the second story which I had or- always sort of planned but a ton of people came out of the woodwork yeah and said hey you should look into this hey you should look into this and um, I'll say that, this most recent story has certainly prompted more of the same. I've had a lot of people um, come forward with information either about people in positions of power and what they knew and when, um, or, you know, prompting me to look into certain things within, you know, their past and, you know, incidents that are completely unrelated to this too. Um, Right. So it has been good in terms of I think people really are craving like the sunlight as the disinfectant. Like they, you know, look, all of us in hockey, like we are, we love hockey because it means something special to us. And as you and I have always talked about, like the institutions that you love the most dearly, you should also be holding accountable to the highest standard. And I think the vast majority of people within this Illinois hockey community want to see that happen and want to be part of the change and want to help. And neither of these stories could have been done had it not been for people um, willing to talk to me and trust me um, and help me for no other reason, for nothing they can gain, but only simply because they thought it was the right thing to do. Mm. Yeah, those people are amazing. What's what's the best way for people to reach you if they're listening to this and they say, you know what, Katie needs to know something I know. <laughs> Katie needs to know. Um, email. Mm-hmm. Katie at theathletic.com. Um, I've gotten a ton of tips and it's like I, I do very sincerely like read each and every one and look into each and every one. Well, thanks for doing this. One of these yeah, times we'll get you on light. here to talk <laughs> some light <laughs> affair. But fun. No, look. I mean, this is, I'm so glad you're doing this, Katie. It's so important. Um, the response from our subscribers and readers in the hockey community is overwhelmingly positive. This is, these are, this needs to be done. Like, this is what, this is what journalism is about. This is what people want to support. And I'm glad you're doing it. Well, thank you for always supporting me doing that, even if I go months without writing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's all right. Uh... 
I, I don't sweat I that too much. <laughs> I know you don't. I love you for that. I love you for that very much. Uh, all right. Well, thanks. Mm-hmm. I know you. I know you had another call to hop on, so I'm not going to tie you up. But thanks for doing this, Katie. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. I want to thank Katie for joining the podcast and for all of her hard work on this topic. Not an easy thing to do as a reporter. Not easy to write. You have to deal with a lot of you know there's blowback there's it's it's not an easy job and i admire katie for her tenacity and her willingness to dive in there and i know a lot of you want to support that kind of work the best way to do that is follow katie on twitter share her work liberally subscribe to the athletic specifically through her stories if you're going to re-op or whatever just it just shows that there is a lot of support for this work out there and there is and that's why she's able to keep doing it for people like you and everybody listening who have supported her. So thank you for that. So thanks again to Katie. Uh, before we wrap up, I want to encourage you, if you didn't listen to it, uh, my friends Pierre Lebrun and Scott Burnside had John Cooper on the two-man advantage this week. Uh, John Cooper is one of my favorite people to deal with in the hockey world. Um there's not a lot of scrums in terms of interviews that I miss, right? Like in, in this pause, being part of a giant scrum of reporters is not doesn't tend to make for great conversation. But John Cooper has made an art form of making those a lot of fun. He challenges questions, he pushes back, he gives you a hard time. Um, they somehow they become very conversational, uh, and that's not easy to do in kind of a press conference setting. And, you know, it's it's guys like John that you miss in times like this. So uh, it was great to see him join their podcast. And I would definitely encourage you to check that out. All right, that's it. So thanks again to Katie for joining the podcast. Thank you for listening and have a great week.